1: Good morning, Christ Fellowship. As you know, we're going through the entire Bible this year. And today we're going to go through the book. We're going through the book of Exodus. It's one of the books of the law. It's a historical account of Abraham's family. Remember last week we talked about the family of Abraham. Well, this is a continuing story. It's written by Moses around the 15th century. And you're probably familiar with the story, the epic story of Moses leaving the Isra- uh, leading the Israelites out of Egypt. But that's just half the story. The second half is Moses giving and getting the Ten Commandments and also detailed blueprints how to make a sacred tent. So let's start at the beginning. We're going to talk about how, like I said, it's a continuing story from Genesis And God had promised Abraham that through his family, all the nations in the entire world would be blessed. So Abraham's grandson, Jacob, leads his 70 people out uh, out of his land, because there's a famine in the land, into Egypt. And Jacob has a son, his 11th son, is named Joseph. We didn't hear about that last week, but Joseph was raised from slavery, in prison, and right up to second in command to Pharaoh. And through Joseph, the entire land of Egypt was saved from the famine, and so was his family. So Pharaoh, to reward uh, Joseph, he gave his family uh, an area in Egypt called Goshen, It was a safe area where this family could continue to grow and fulfill the mandate that God had given them. God told them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth, and that's exactly what they did. Remember, that's an echo of what was said in the book of Genesis. God told them that, and yet they forfeited that. Humanity forfeited that because of rebellion and sin in the garden. So God chose to restore this blessing, through Abraham. So eventually, Jacob dies, Joseph and all his brothers die, and 400 years pass, and a new pharaoh comes into uh, rule, and he doesn't view these immigrants as a blessing at all. He thinks they're a threat to his power, and he tries to destroy God's source of blessing. He brutally enslaves them, Forces them into labor. Then, on the sly, he asks the midwives, I want you to kill every boy, baby that's born. And when that's not enough, he issues a mandate for the babies to be killed, to be thrown into the Nile River. He wants to wipe out God's people. And Pharaoh, at this point, is the worst character in the Bible so far. He epitomizes evil. And rebellion against God. He's horrible. And what he's done is redefined what's good according to his own interest. Even the murder of innocent children, he considers good. But God's people, they cry out. They cry out for this evil that's happening. And God answers the prayer. He turns it upside down. Pharaoh You know, Pharaoh issued that decree to throw the babies in the Nile. So this brave Israelite mother who has a baby boy, she obeys, but in her creative way, she puts him safely in a reed basket and places him in a river, in the the Nile River, and he floats right into the area where Pharaoh's daughter is. And she takes him as her own. She names him Moses, which means drawn out of the water. So he's raised in the household of Pharaoh with the best of the best. And despite his privileged upbringing, he takes the side of the Israelites and he kills an Egyptian. And he's forced to flee in exile in the wilderness in the land of Midian for 40 years. He eventually, though, becomes the man that God will use to deliver his people. Because God appears to Moses in a burning bush and he tells him, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to tell, I want you to command Pharaoh to let my people go. And he says, I know Pharaoh is going to resist. And because he does, I'm going to send judgment in the land in the form of plagues. And you have to understand, these plagues are really severe but their divine justice and judgment against one of the worst oppressors there ever was so far in the Bible. All the plagues are aimed at rescuing God's people and defeating the gods of the Egyptians. Each one of the plagues confronts Pharaoh's gods. Each time Moses offers Pharaoh a chance to repent and let the people go. But the Bible says as soon as the plagues are resolved, Pharaoh changes his mind. He hardens his heart. Eventually, that hard heart reaches the point of no return. And even Pharaoh's own advisors thinks he's out of his mind. And it's at that point that God turns Pharaoh's evil desires and heart on himself into his own destruction. So everything climaxes. There's 10 plagues. Everything climaxes on the last plague, where God again turns the table on Pharaoh. Just like Pharaoh wanted to kill all the baby boys and throw them into the Nile so they'd be drowned, this 10th plague is aimed at the firstborn babies of every household, not babies, firstborn at all, any age. We'll get into more about that because God Even with that judgment, not like Pharaoh, there was no way out of his edict. God made a way of escape. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Through the blood of a lamb that was applied to the doorpost. So there's death and there's mourning and there's weeping in every Egyptian household. Not one was spared from the Pharaoh down to the prisoner. And finally, Pharaoh, after he loses his own son, he demands that the people go, leave. So the Israelites leave. They make their exit out of Egypt. But then Pharaoh changes his mind. He gathers his army. He pursues them for a final showdown. And they pass through the sea on dry land. The Israelites pass safely through the sea. And yet Pharaoh charges with his army and chariots to their own destruction. And they're all drowned. And that's the story of Exodus, the first part. And we see what God is saying right here is God is on a mission. He's confronting evil that's in the world. He wants to redeem the people that are enslaved by the evil, and he wants to dwell among them. So there's a sharp turn that happens at this point. People start to grumble and complain. They're traveling in the wilderness for three days. They get hungry. They get thirsty. They start criticizing Moses. Why did you ever take us out of Egypt? We miss the cucumbers and the leeks. Read it. That's what it says. They blame him. It's crazy. Three months they're wandering in the wilderness. God graciously does provide food in the form of manna and quail and water. And he leads them to the foot of a mountain after three months. This wandering group of 2 million people. And they come back to the very place where Moses was in exile at the foot of Mount Sinai, and here God's presence comes down dramatically on the top of this mount in the form of a storm cloud and thunderings, and it's, it's scary to the people. It's God's presence, but God appears to Moses. He speaks to him. And this concept of the presence of God is really important because, remember, humanity lost. That's what happened in the garden. They were expelled from Eden, and they were no longer in the presence of God. They lost that access. But God was saying through Abraham, I'm going to, it's through his family, you're going to have access to me again and god promises to the people through the laws and the sacrifices and the worship systems that he gives and he lays out to the israelites god reveals who humanity was meant to be and who he is there to po- to be the representatives of god on the earth so god god gives these to moses it's written down the people eagerly agree to this covenant and to prove god wants to prove his desire to to be in their presence. He designs, there's 13 long chapters. He designs an elaborate blueprint to uh, construct this sacred tent or this tabernacle. You have to understand there's a lot of details in these chapters. Like I said, there's 13 chapters, but everything has symbolic value. There's flowers and angels and gold and jewels. It's all echoing back to the Garden of Eden, the place where God and humans lived and walked together in intimacy. Everything from the materials that are used, to the decoration, shouts to the people. God is rebuilding what was lost through Adam's failure all to remind them that when they're in the tent, they're in God's presence. So before the tent is finished, it says, this is something really important. Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments and the instructions on how to build this sacred tent. And he sees the people breaking the first two of the Ten Commandments. They're worshiping a false god, and they created it in an image like a calf. And, of course, the Lord is angry, and Moses prays for the people. He intercedes for them, and God spares the people because he wants to remain true to his promise that he gave to Abraham. So we get to the end of the book. That was a summary of the whole 40 chapters. We get to the end of the book, and God's presence comes off the mountain and fills the tabernacle. And it says Moses tries to go into the tent, and he can't he can't get in. And that's how the book ends. So you have to continue the story in the book of Leviticus as we go into that next week. Amen. But I want to zero in on a few details from this whole book of Exodus. First thing I want to talk about is in the first chapter, Joseph and his family. We read in Exodus chapter one, starting in verse six, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in number, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Remember I said two million people. And because of Joseph, they were rewarded by Pharaoh. Remember, they were given a safe place, a place, a separate place, a place to live in called Goshen. And they fulfilled the mandate to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. Here in Goshen, they had a lot of freedom. They were comfortable living as shepherds. They had their own profession. They lived among other Israelites. They were not involved in Egyptian affairs. And yet the Pharaoh considered them to be a threat, even though they lived a separate life. He feared their large numbers. Look what it says, continuing the same chapter, verse 8. Then a king, a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have come, become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave our country. See this current Pharaoh? He represents evil. He wants to destroy God's people. He wants to stop the growth of the Israelites. And here's a universal principle I want you to see. Evil is always threatened by good. Evil tries to redefine what is good and what's considered evil. This evil ruler wanted to take the place of God. As a matter of fact, the Egyptians thought he was a god. They All leaders like this, they, take, they make decisions that take actions contrary to God's will and contrary to his way. In Exodus, we read that Pharaoh acted shrewdly in dealing with them by oppressing them, forcing them into slavery. Pharaoh is evil personified. And in my opinion, this evil can play out in every generation throughout history in the world. The forces of wickedness and darkness and evil, they are constantly trying to gain ground, oppress, enslave, divide, and destroy God's people. And it's often done through subterfuge, underhanded deception, as it was in the case of Pharaoh, and then through forced actions and oppressive demands. He tried to eliminate. The Israelites secretly, remember, through the, the midwives? Let's read it, continuing further in Exodus 1, verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God. They did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. It says they feared God rather than man. And it says further in the chapter, verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives and the people increased in and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So, In the book of Exodus, we see the hand of God at work, even in the darkest moments of human history. God can use evil, which he does not cause, to accomplish his purpose. Think about it. We're living in a time like that right now. Just like the Israelites thought they were safe in Goshen and they were comfortable there, we believers have been sheltered in place, not just for the last two years, I would say for decades inside the church, isolating ourselves, not wanting to be tainted by the world. And in effect, we've surrendered territory, precious territory, to evil. I'm talking about Christians. We've relinquished our responsibility in the area of academia and the media and the government, just to name a few of them. So what happened? The void was filled with the ungodly, with those who are against the Christian ethics, the ones who are anti-Christian. And we live in our own Goshen, complacent or maybe afraid to venture out of the safety of our church community. Many of us, even in the church, have relinquished our responsibilities to do good and justice in the world. And meanwhile, the evil forces have been really doing everything. They feel threatened, just like Pharaoh was. They feel threatened. They're taking active measures against Christianity. And even though we outnumber them, that they're a minority, they try to deride us through the media. The government tries to shut us down. How many churches were forced to do that? Divide us. Academia has essentially removed God from the classroom and introduced curriculum that's openly hostile to Christian values. And the media attacks on Judeo- people who hold to Judeo-Christian values are relentless. But they're an evil minority, yet they feel threatened. They're trying to divide us, whether it's racially, ethnically, medical choice division, or choice uh, denominational division, or government, you know, party division. There's evil... Forces behind it, and there's spiritual warfare that's going on. We have to understand that there is evil, and we are warring for the souls of our children, of our nation. Christians are a threat to the agenda of the minority. The forces of wickedness in high places, they're fearful, and they're unleashing a fury against us. They're calling what's good, the, the good that we do, they're calling evil. And the evil that they do in their evil agenda, they're calling good. But we need to recognize it's a time for us. Just like the Israelites with Moses, they cried out for deliverance. We need to cry out now for the evil in the world. We need to recognize what's good and what God's good is. We need to pray to the Lord to turn things around, to set us free from the madness that's around us. And it's not time to close down the church. It's not a time to stay in place within the four walls of our own comfort and safety. It's a time of unity. It's a time of calling on the Lord lay of all creation. Deliver us, Lord. It's a time to repent from the compromises and the complacency that we feel in our own Goshen. It's a time to move in faith and in power by the Holy Spirit. It's a a time to stand on godly principles and to stay anchored in his word. Just like Pharaoh, the forces of wickedness are promoting evil and calling it good. I don't think it's any coincidence that I'm on the preaching schedule, and it happens to be, Next weekend is the 49th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. We're reminded of that evil. When the choice to end a human life, even up to the point of birth, is considered and applauded progressive and good, we have to take a stand and say enough. Abortion is not good. It's evil. And Lord, forgive us. Our nation was established on godly principles. In the Declaration of Independence, it says, We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, that they have been endowed with certain inalienable rights, and among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If we lose the preciousness of life, what's next? It's our freedoms that we're going to lose. Life begins in the womb. And just like the evil Egyptian pharaoh thought killing babies was a good thing, something that would benefit his nation, we see world leaders, and yes, even our own president, putting his stamp of approval on this horror. God's people need to cry out to the Lord for the blood of 63 million babies who have been thrown into the Nile River since Roe v. Wade We have to cry out to the Lord also to comfort those women who were deceived into having abortions, and they now regret it. And the sad fact is, one in four women regret making that decision. They're tormented by it. But know this, know this, that our Heavenly Father, he will forgive, and he has provided a way through his Son, if you cry out to the Lord in all sincerity. So as the Egyptians were crying out to the Lord, that he answered their cry by sending Moses. First, Moses wasn't supposed to be alive. He was one of the babies that would have been dead and drowned, but God spared his life. Moses himself, he was raised in, in the household of Pharaoh with the best education, best things materially. And he doesn't have a perfect record in his zeal, he killed an Egyptian and he had to flee for 40 years. But in God's time and in God's way, God spoke to him in his current job. And he said, I'm commissioning you to go back to Egypt, to go to the very place and the very purpose you ran from. Is God calling you to something? to go back to something? Are you in exile? Can you see that happening in your life? None of us can say we execute our life and our calling purposely. I mean, perf- perfectly. Can anybody say they're perfect that live in their life? None of us. We messed up sometimes at some degree. Some people get sidetracked, but God wants to know that he called you for a purpose And he's with you wherever you go. Whether you're in the wilderness learning and waiting or whether you've been thrust into action, God is with you. And you're an answer to prayer. But don't shelter in place in Goshen. Now, each of the plagues, there were 10 of them. Each of those 10 plagues was a contest against the Egyptian gods. There were false gods and idolatry. There was a river god, so God sent a plague on the river, it turned to blood. There was a frog goddess of fertility, so God sent frogs to overrun the land. There were gods that were with that heads, heads of calves and heads of goats, and God sent plagues on the livestock, and every one of these plagues brought distress To the people. It brought distress to them economically. The plagues of locusts destroyed their agriculture. The land was in ruins. Even their supreme God was Ra, the sun God. And God, the creator of the sun, brought darkness for three full days. God is the supreme God. Here's something I want you to see. Exodus chapter 8, verse 22, says this. One of the plagues, it says this. But on that day, I will deal differently to the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. So Moses spoke this to Pharaoh. And it happened. The flies came, the swarms of flies everywhere, but not in Goshen. It also happened with the diseased livestock. They died from the diseases. Not so with the Israelites. The hail didn't fall in Goshen. The locusts that came to Egypt did not destroy their crops. And it says in the land of Goshen, even though there was darkness throughout all the land, in Goshen, they had light. Today, people must realize that we trust in things besides God. We believe that they're going to deliver us. What are you placing your trust in? What's going to keep you? Is it going to be uh, the government, your career, your retirement, your family? Today, we look at the devastation around us. I mean, the moral decay in the land, the economic hardship, And sometimes we lose hope. But be encouraged by this story. Trust God. He is with us. God is all-powerful. He is the God of the past, history, and he's the God of the future as well. He has a plan for his people. And we, who are called by his name, are protected by him. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Can I hear an amen? God uses all things Even those people who are bent on evil, God will turn it around for his ultimate good. And here's something interesting I want you to see. In chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, God gave these instructions to Moses. He said this, Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people, that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles. They're supposed to go to the Egyptians. Ask them for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And Moses himself was regarded in Egypt highly by the uh, Pharaoh's officials and by the people. And that's exactly what happened. If you read the next chapter, it says when they were leaving, that the Egyptians gave them articles of silver and gold and clothing, and God had given the people favor with the Egyptians. You know, they didn't leave empty-handed. God was compensating for everything that was lost when they were enslaved in sin and years of mistreatment. God will destroy. He'll rest- I mean, God will destroy. He will restore what was destroyed. Whatever the enemy tried to steal from you, God will vindicate you. He will. And part of this last plague, terrible plague, were detailed instructions about a Passover lamb. It's almost like instructions about a dinner party. Here's the story of Passover. At this Passover celebration, the lamb is really important. God tells the Israelites to choose and to pick one to be eaten. It had to be without blemish. And they were to take hold of that blood of that slain animal. And they were to apply it to the door, the top of the door and the sides of the door. The top and the sides. And then All the homes that were marked in that way, they would be spared from the plague. Let's read it in Exodus 12. Then, in verse 7, Then you are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, over the bitter herbs, and the bread made without yeast. Further down, verse 12, On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you in your houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So on that night, the Lord did pass through Egypt strike down the firstborn sons and the death angel did pass over the homes that had the blood on it. So this divine plague that was over the entire land, the people were safe who had the blood. They were spared. The sons were spared. And I want you to see two things here. They had to do two things. First, they had to apply the blood. Then they had to remain inside. They had to remain. They had to apply and they had to remain. God brought justice on human evil, but he also showed mercy through this sacrificial lamb as a substitute. And this is just a type, a foreshadow of Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God. You remember when John the Baptist saw him as he was walking toward him in the, in the Jordan? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He recognized who he was. Jesus is the spotless Lamb without blemish and because of his innocent, sinless, shed blood on the cross that we the pass the judgment that we deserve for our sin. And pass over us. We apply the blood figuratively to our the door of our hearts, and he keeps us safe, and he frees us from sin. He keeps us safe. That's another word for salvation. And as long as we remain in him, we're covered and we're safe. Salvation only comes through the sacrifice of Christ. It's the blood. It's the blood that we must apply, the blood that was shed on the cross at the top and on the sides, just like the blood that was shed on the door on the top and at the sides. Let's read Revelation 1.5. It says this, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us, from our sins by his blood. And you might be saying, what do I need to be freed of? What do I need to be saved from? We have to go back to Genesis again, because remember what was lost. God's initial charge to the children, Abraham, I mean, Adam and Eve, was to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the land and to become representatives of God, to show his glory through their lives. And however, they fell into the deception of the serpent and they fell into the hands of the evil one. So that's why you need the blood, because that was passed on to every one of us of humanity. Separation from God, disease, death, it all happened there. Adam and Eve were banished from God's presence. And the consequence of the sin was passed on to every one of us. From this book of Exodus, we can clearly see that when the heart goes unchecked, bad people can do terrible things. And they can turn into monsters just like Pharaoh did. There's no way to get around it. You're a sinner. And I'm a sinner, too. We all live our lives apart from God. We're swayed from evil. We're tempted to do wrong. We give in to the temptations. We purposely sin. And sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it by omission. We deserve judgment. But Jesus became sin for us. He took upon himself what we deserve. 1 Corinthians 1.30 said, God made him to be sin for us. Even though he was sinless, he became the sacrifice. Even though he remained holy, he became guilty. And it was the transfer of our sin to him that allows the judgment to pass over for us. To bring salvation and deliverance to all who would choose. You have to apply it yourself. Remember, they had to apply it. And remain. You have to choose to let Him into your heart and apply the blood to the door of your heart. So the judgment we deserve can pass over us, but you have to remain in Him. Remember the Israelites of all people, they saw miraculous signs. They should have been faithful, but they weren't. You see, later, as they were in the wilderness, they grumbled and they complained, and some of them were destroyed. God rescued the enslaved Israelites. He confronted the false gods. He brought protection to everyone who remained in the house. And yet, some of them fell away. John 15 says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is, this is powerful. This imagery that follows is powerful. It says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. This imagery, it pictures judgment that's awaiting those who were never saved. 1 John two eighteen 18 through 19 says this, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, Antichrists have come. And this is how you know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained. Everybody say, remain. Say it again, remain. For If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And over these past few years, we see a lot of shifting going on, don't we? We see a lot of falling away. We see a lot of pruning taking place in the body of Christ. Some people have chosen to drift away from God. And others have blatantly decided to leave the safety of the cross. But be forewarned, you must be anchored in him. The word abide, it means remain. It means to stay, stay in the word. Jesus is the word. He became flesh. We need to be anchored in the word. And proof of your salvation, the abiding, the remaining, is evidence that salvation has already taken place. The 10th plague, it's a vivid reminder of the anger and the fury of God against sin. The blood of the animal of the Passover was shed and it delivered the people and they were able to escape death and judgment. So the same, Christ's blood redeems sinners. Salvation is available to all of us. No matter what we've done, God offers forgiveness. His blood will cover any sin, I mentioned abortion before, and my sad testimony is in my 20s, I was brainwashed by the world, and I believed that that was an okay thing. And although I myself didn't have an abortion, I, on many occasions, was the support system for those who did. I drove them to the clinic. I took them home. I lied for them with their parents and their friends. The blood of Jesus covers that sin because the blood of 63 million babies is on our hands if we don't do something and cry out to God in repentance and forgiveness. We need to cry out whatever our part was. See, the blood of Jesus can pass over no matter what you've done, it's forgiven. Romans five eight through eight and nine says, but God demonstrates His love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We've been justified by His blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? It also says in Ephesians one seven, in Him. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God. Of God's grace. There's so much I, wanna, I wanted to cover so much. But I feel I want to stop here. And I want to give you an opportunity. And in a moment, I'm not telling you to do it now. I want you to walk down the aisle and I want you to all stand in the front as I share with you, what are you? What, where are you right now? Are you comfortable in Goshen? Are you sheltering in place? Are you ineffective? Are you willing to sit back and be silent on issues? Are you comfortable? Are you compromising? You know what's evil and you know what's good. Are you standing for what God's good is? What good is? Or are you complacent? Oh, I don't really care. not affecting me. Or are you like I was complicit? You actually were part of the sin. Or how many of you feel you need to commit? You need to commit to be all that God wants you to do, all that God wants you to be, to leave your exile and to come in the place of purpose, wherever that is, whether it's on your job or in your family. I'm going to call you to get out of your seat and stand to your feet first If that's any of you, if we could have some music in the background, that would be awesome. If that's any of you, I want you to come down now and we're going to pray together. Are you in Goshen? Are you compromising? Are you complicit? Do you need to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to the door of your heart? It's a time to recommit to the Lord. And he will forgive as you surrender to him in all sincerity, whatever you've done. Hallelujah. Let's just take a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, we thank you so much, God, that you can pass over the judgment that we all deserve, God. every one of us here, Lord, I know that one in four women suffered the pain of abortion as they were deceived. I pray for them, God, I pray for those who feel tormented and Lord. I pray your comfort on their hearts today, that they know that your blood, the sacrifice of your sinless blood, can cover any sin, any transgression, Lord God, I pray for those who feel comfortable, they felt comfortable and they stayed in place and they haven't been active, oh god they they were afraid to venture out into the world or even though We are a majority, God. They were inhibited to do so because of the minority. God, I pray you give them boldness, strength, courage to come out of that place of comfort, I pray. Lord God, for those who are compromising, knowing what's right and yet doing what's wrong. Lord, that's sin. Lord, I pray that they cover, that they come to you today and recommit their lives and ask you to cover, that they repent of any of those transgressions, God. Today, they come clean before you. Lord, that you would even reveal some things, Lord God, that they're doing or part of. That is not good. And Lord God, those who are recommitting their lives to you today. Lord God, I pray you empower them with the Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit fall afresh upon them. Lord God, that they begin to speak with other tongues. Lord God, they begin to see dreams and visions. And God, you begin to direct them in ways that they haven't had ever before as they commit their ways to you and your will be done in their lives. Lord God, we love you. Lord God, we thank you. We surrender our lives to you, Lord God. We bow down to you. And we praise your name. We thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that as we lay everything on the foot of the cross, that it's covered by the blood of the Lamb. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 As you're going back to your seats, I want to share with you. Take heart. I believe there's a great in gathering. There is a great increase that's going to happen as God continues to sift and refine us. God is going to bring another harvest. One last more, one more harvest until the end. And as we're in the word this year, next week, I, I mentioned the book of Leviticus And as we always do every week, we have some homework for you to do. Amen. Did you do your homework for this week? Yes? Okay, I see some hands, some hands. Okay, so this week, this is what I want you to do. Read Leviticus chapter 6, 7, 10, and 23 to prepare for next week. Right? I'll say it again. Leviticus 6, 7, 10, and 23. Okay, got that? Praise the
0: Lord. Go in peace. God bless you. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelisabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.